to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your hearts. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. You should have got a handout uh, as we were as you were coming in this morning uh, with some extra Bible verses on it. You might like to um, have that out with you uh, as we go through and um, uh, make reference to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, we ask one thing, and that is that you would teach us, O Lord, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. This might be an embarrassing question, but I want you to be honest with yourself as well as everyone else. Who here has ever watched Star Trek? Not just the movies, but the TV show. That's like another level. Yeah, a few, okay. Power to the people. Um, Well, if you haven't watched Star Trek, let me give you the synopsis of pretty much every episode. Uh, What happens is the captain and a few of the crew leave the ship. They go down to some unknown planet, and while they're on the planet... Some arch-villain beams himself up or, you know, kind of captures the ship. They storm the control room and they take control of the vessel while the captain and, the, and a few of the important crew are down there on the surface of the planet. In every episode, that's more or less what happens. And in the rest of the episode is they have to try and work out how to get control of the ship back again. But whether it's aliens on a starship or terrorists on a plane or bandits on a train in some old western, they all have one thing in common, and that is that all the villains, all the enemies, want to make it to the control room uh, or to the front, uh, the front uh, of the train or to the, uh, to the um, cockpit of the aeroplane. They want to get there. They want to get into the control room so that they can take control uh, of the ship. Because they know that if you get into the control room, if you get into the cockpit, if you get onto the bridge, then you've got the whole ship. You can control where it goes and what it does. And Proverbs and the Bible say something very similar about our heart. That is, uh, Proverbs says that our heart is like the control room or the bridge or the cockpit of our life. It's where... uh, we control, it's what controls what it is that we do and how we live. And because of that, Proverbs says, we have to be careful to protect it. 
So that's what we want to think about this morning. Uh, we want to think about our hearts as the control rooms of our lives and how it is that we can guard them and protect them. So before we think about how we protect our heart, it helps to see how the heart functions. How is it that it's the control room of our life? Well, Solomon says in chapter 4, verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. Often when we speak about the heart, we talk about it chiefly as the place where we you know, fall in love or the place of our passions. Uh, actually, in the Bible, that's kind of like the bowels. It's a bit awkward. I love you with all my bowels is the kind of thing that people maybe would have said in the ancient Near East. But that's because physiologically, that's where we feel stuff, right? You know, uh, we have butterflies in our stomach when we're nervous or, you know, our, our stomach plummets to the ground when we're afraid or when, when we fall in love with someone, we, we feel the joy of that uh, in, in our stomach, uh, not, not in our chest. In the Bible, the heart is not so much where we feel the passions. That's part of it, I guess. But more, actually, the heart is really the centre of our being. It's where decisions are made. It's where we think and plan and uh, devise things. According to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18, the heart is a place where wicked schemes are devised. Or according to Proverbs 24, verse 1, it's the place where violence is plotted. The heart is a place where words are formed. Proverbs 16, 23 says, The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Or Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The heart is the control room of our lives, according to Jesus. In fact, that's so much the case that Proverbs 27 verse 19 can say, As water reflects a face, so one's life reflects the heart. So you want to see what you look like, you look in the mirror. If you want to see what's in someone's heart, you look at their life. That's because... Their life is determined by what's in their heart. So the actions that we take reflect the things that live in our heart. Uh, if you're constantly having arguments with other people in your heart, you'll probably end up having arguments with people in real life. Uh, if you're constantly nursing bitterness in your heart, then you'll probably speak with that kind of bitter and resentful tone. Because what's in your heart, bitterness, will come in, come out in what you say and how you say it. Uh, on the contrary, if you're continually grateful for the people who are around you, you're more likely to treat them in ways which honour them and respect them and build them up. If you're constantly thankful for God's generosity, then uh, you'll more likely be generous to others. So the decisions that we make reflect the condition of our heart. But that's true, I think, in other ways, uh, more than you might think. So it's certainly true with respect to our behaviour, that is, that what we do reflects what's in our heart. 
But Proverbs, in Proverbs, the heart is bigger than that too. So the heart is not just a place of right and wrong. The heart is a place of pleasant and unpleasant things. The heart is a place uh, of anxiety or calm. The heart is a place of sorrow or joy. So a good heart, according to Proverbs, is content, tranquil, glad, cheerful, joyful, discerning, intelligent and pure, while a bad heart is worthless, crooked, deceitful, foolish, anxious, backsliding, sorrowful, arrogant, proud, raging against God, impure and sinful, stingy, envious, perverse, devising violence, evil, full of abominations and hardened. So think about these proverbs. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. So if you're constantly cast down by sorrow, then that will shape the way that you live. It will shape the decisions that you make. If you're bound up with fear, then you'll live on the basis of those fears. You'll avoid certain actions because you're afraid of things. Uh, On the contrary, if your heart is full of a confident trust in God, then you'll live out of that kind of bold assurance in God. If you're full of joy... In God, then you'll be less tempted to find joy in other things, in lesser things, uh, in the place of God. So what's in our heart shapes our life in all kinds of ways, in terms of right and wrong, but also in terms of sorrow and joy and contentment uh, and anxiety and so on. So the heart is the control room of our life. Uh, and if we want to live lives that honour God, wise lives rather than foolish lives, then we need to cultivate a good heart. But how do we do that? How do we cultivate a good heart? How do we make sure that the control room is in a fit and proper sh- a state? Well, Solomon gives two answers. And the first answer that he gives is that we need to be careful, he says, what we let in. Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart because... Everything you do flows from it. Now, the expression there, above all else, is maybe a little bit soft. You know, it's like, above all else, you know, make sure you do it. That's really important, uh, which is true. But it's, it's something a bit more like, guard it with guarding. You know, like, just really, 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 really work hard to guard it. Make sure you protect it. Uh, I think if most of us were writing this proverb, we'd probably express it something like this. Look, just be a little bit careful. Just be a little bit careful about what you, see, what you look at, what you see and hear, because it could be a little bit unhelpful. Just be a bit careful. And Solomon's like, no, guard it, protect it, do everything. You know, there's, there's people storming the cockpit of your life. You've got to keep them out. Don't do it. If everything flows from it, if it's the control room of your life, you've got to guard it. You've got to make sure no one gets in there. 
That's because once it's in there, it's nearly impossible to get out. So seeds of ideas planted in your heart are far harder to remove than they are to get in. It takes only a few minutes for an idea, for a thought to come in, but it can take years for an idea to be taken out again. Uh, Take, for example, pornography. Uh, Those images or videos are easy to consume. They're everywhere. But once you have consumed those images, they stay with you for a lifetime. And they begin then to distort the way that you look at the people around you. It can turn the people around you into, into objects of sexual desire. Or it can turn your husband or your wife into... Uh, it can turn them from being a real person into a person obscured by memories and images of online experiences. But that truth is true that uh, things in our hearts are hard to get out. is true in subtler ways as well. So, for instance, we're surrounded by the message that we can be anything that we want to be. Uh, that we can achieve anything that we set our minds to and that we should follow our dreams. Uh, That message is in kids' films, it's in songs, whole TV shows are built around it. People give up their, their working lives to go for three months or however long it is on shows like MasterChef. Their dream is to be a chef. And so they put their lives on hold to follow their dream. You might think that that message is harmless, except that countless people around the world in our society are making foolish decisions that undermine their futures, that undermine the futures of the people around them who rely on them, it undermines the futures of their families, it undermines their livelihoods, because they're chasing utterly unrealistic dreams that even blind Freddy could tell them is never going to happen. You can't be a singer, you can't sing in tune. Where did it begin? It began in the heart. It began in accepting and believing a message that was utterly foolish. The message comes in, we take it, we believe it, and it shapes how we live. Or take social media. Uh, It's easy, isn't it, to lay the boot into social media? Everyone seems to be doing it. Uh, But a growing body of research is saying that it's that, there's, that there are problems. It's maybe not all bad, but there are some significant problems. One UK study uh, by the Royal Society for Public Health found that Instagram, uh, of, all, of all social media platforms, is the worst for mental health and well-being. Uh, it contributed to high levels of anxiety, depression, bullying, and fear of missing out. And Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat... Uh, were also pretty bad as well. But Instagram was the worst, surprisingly. Social media seems to be the engine room of envy, dissatisfaction and depression. And yet we consume it greedily. We let the images and the ideas and the thoughts into our heart and they shape us. 
and we are unwilling to let go when people say that maybe it's not the most helpful thing for us to be doing with our time. Social media is not only a source of envy, anxiety and bullying, it can also be a source of profound trauma. After the recent attacks uh, in Christchurch, a number of people found auto-playing videos of uh, scenes from those attacks in their social media feeds. One journalist who experienced that in the US aptly described the internet as a Pandora's box that never had a lid. Chaos spewing out of it and destroying the hearts and lives of people around the world. That kind of exposure to violent media, such as in those videos, can cause a kind of media-based secondary trauma. That is, people who watch those things can experience the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. They didn't experience those events themselves, but by watching those things, they can begin to experience the effects of post-traumatic stress as well. Guarding our hearts is not just about avoiding things that might tempt us into sin. It's certainly about that. But it's also about avoiding things that create anxiety and fear. Because a heart shaped by anxiety and fear won't be a good heart or a wise heart that makes wise decisions. Solomon says we need to be careful about what we let into our heart. We need to guard our hearts. We need to be careful about what we watch or read or hear. Even reading the news uh, or watching the news can be fraught these days. Sometimes I look at the Sydney Morning Herald, I can't believe what they're allowed to publish. Other times watching the news can just make you terribly anxious. I find if I, the more I watch the news or read the news, the more fearful I am about the world. I had a friend uh, who is by no means an idiot uh, who, who, who came up with a, who decided he would only read the news on Saturday because he found that it was, it was damaging his life. Guarding our heart, however, is not just about what we let in, but it's also being careful about what we practice. So Solomon says in verse 24, he just said, guard your heart. Verse 24, how, what's some of the ways that you do that? He says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. So how do we guard our hearts? Well, some of the ways that we do that is by... Guarding what we say, guarding what we look at, guarding, as we saw last week, where we walk or what we do. So as we saw last week, the decisions that you make, the things that you do, shape shape you, they shape your heart. So too, what we say and how we speak shapes us. If we speak in bitterness, that will shape our heart. In bitterness, if we speak aggressively, that will shape our heart to be more and more aggressive. And in the same way, 
way where we look guides us as well. Uh, when I used to, when I was at university, I uh, played ice hockey, and one of the rules in ice hockey, one of the kind of the tips and tricks, is never look at the puck. Never look at if you're shooting for goal. Never look at the puck. You look where you're shooting. Because if you're, if you're looking at the goalie's feet, that's where the puck will go. If you're looking in the top corner of the net, that's where the puck will go. Where you look is where the puck goes. And Solomon says, where you look, where you're looking in life is where you head. You might be walking this way, but if you're looking over there, in the end, you'll end up travelling in that direction. We have to guard where we look. Guard what we say. Guard what we do and guard our hearts. So the heart is the control room of our life and we need to be careful what we let in. But more positively, Solomon says, that we also, not, we not only need to be careful what we keep out, but we should be deliberate about what we let in. So verse, verses 22, 20 to 22, Solomon says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. So Solomon says, pay attention. Turn your ear. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them in your heart. Those are kind of the opposite behaviors of those avoiding behaviors that he's mentioned or that we've just looked at. So instead of not looking, we need to pay attention. Instead of not listening, we need to turn our ear towards it. Instead of keeping them out of our heart, we need to lock them in our heart. Elsewhere, Solomon says things like this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Or bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. Paul says something similar in Philippians 4. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Fix your minds on those things. We need to let our mind and our heart soak in the good, the good things of God's. First and foremost, of course, that means soaking in God's word in the Bible. Reading the Bible is a great start, but we need to do more than that. We need to dwell on it and think it over and pray over it and remember it and stew on it and talk about it. We need to fix our minds on it. But meditating on what's good and and pure and right also means soaking in and enjoying the good things that God has put around us, not just what's in the Bible, but also what's good in the world. It means that when we see truth in any aspect of life, that we should think on it and store it up in our hearts, whether that's wisdom from our parents or wisdom that we learn from history or truth about how the world works or how life works. If it's good, if it's right, if it's true, when we look at it in the light of the Bible, we should store it up in our hearts and remember it. It means that when we see people doing good things, 
around us, we should think on it and delight in it. When we see people who show compassion and who show mercy, we can reflect on that mercy and that compassion. We can reflect on how that reflects on God. And we can think about how that model of compassion and mercy can shape, help to shape our lives. How can, how can I be? How can you be merciful and compassionate in the same way that they have? We can see those things even in the lives of people who are not believers, who are not followers of Jesus. In every human being, there are echoes of who God made us to be. It's distorted, yes, and broken because of sin, but there's still good that we can see and recognise. And yet we can see that even more in those people who are followers of Jesus, people whose lives have been taken hold of by the Holy Spirit and and who are being reshaped and being remoulded into the image of Jesus. In those people, those faint echoes of creation explode into this rich abundance of God's work and God's goodness. And as we see that working out in their lives, we can reflect on that and delight in that and store that up in our hearts and learn from that. I have a friend who, uh, who often shares with me his excitement about what he sees uh, God doing in the lives of people around him. I don't know if he notices that he's doing it, But he always just says things like, oh, he's such a good man. I just love the way he thinks seriously about where God wants him to to serve. I just, I I love the way that she's just so uh, focused on understanding the Bible and, 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 and testing all things and holding fast to that which is good. And it's just wonderful to hear that. To hear that put into words because you go, that is wonderful, isn't it? That is fantastic. He sees it, he recognises it, he delights in it. And I think he and then those who hear it as well, are then our minds are fixed on it. And it comes to shape us because we think, yeah, that's, that's pretty good actually, isn't it? I'd like to be like that too. I'd like to be really serious about thinking where God wants me to serve. I'd like to be, I'd like, to be like, like she is, you know, really studying the Bible and just testing everything, not just listening to other people, but really digging into the Bible. But meditating on what's good and pure and right is not just looking at the Bible, not just looking at the lives of those around us. It can also include looking at the world. Whenever we see waves breaking on the shore or, you know, you might go walking and see how vast slabs of rock have kind of been folded over the top of each other or how a glacier has carved out a valley Uh, Or you might see how the body is capable of repairing itself. Or how a bird can uh, almost miraculously navigate across a vast expanse of ocean and find its way. When we reflect on all those things and, uh, and see those things, we can delight in them. And thank God for them. And marvel at his wisdom and his goodness and his creativity. But expressions like 
fix, bind, fasten, write them on your heart. All those expressions suggest that this work of seeing and storing up takes effort. It won't just happen. You won't just go for a walk and it won't just come into your heart by osmosis. You have to fix and store and write. It takes effort. We have to work at it. But it's worth doing because it shapes our heart and our heart shapes and directs our life. So our heart's the control room of our life. We need to focus on what's good, store it up, and be vigilant to keep out what's bad. But finally, the storyline of the Bible shows us importantly that we need even more than that. Even if you and I can vigilantly keep all the evil things away from us and we can focus on everything that's good, even that still won't be enough. That's because even if you could you know, sequester yourself away in a, in a locked room and never be exposed to anybody else, you would still experience evil. And that's because evil lives in us, not just in the world. Jesus says to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The problem is what lives inside us. To be wise and to honour God with our lives in that context means we still need to be vigilant about what goes in and we still need to focus our minds on what's good, but that won't solve the problem. That won't clean up our hearts. The Bible says that we need something much more radical. We need a heart transplant. Ezekiel says in the Old Testament, I will sprinkle clean water on you. God says through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What you and I need is for God to reach into our heart and to take it out and replace it. To take out a heart made of stone and replace it with a soft heart. We need God to reach into our heart and to wash away the filth that lives in there. That work comes through Jesus. It's through uh, Jesus' work on the cross that the Holy Spirit comes to us. It's through Jesus that we receive the Spirit of God to make us new people. That means that guarding our heart and seeking true wisdom has to begin with Jesus because we can't do it without 
without him. Guarding our heart has to begin with Jesus because without Jesus, our heart is like stone. You can't write good things. You can't inscribe good things on stone. It doesn't work. We need God to give us a soft heart, a heart of flesh, so that we can begin to absorb his ways and his wisdom. So guarding our heart and filling our heart with good things begins with Jesus. It begins with coming to God through Jesus and asking him to forgive us and cleanse us. But guarding our heart also continues through Jesus. It continues through Jesus because even with a new heart, we need to guard what goes in. Even with a new heart, we need to be deliberate about putting good things in. And yet even as we're doing that, we need to keep coming back to God and asking him to forgive us because there's still stuff in our heart that shouldn't be there. And we need to keep coming back to God to ask him to rip out of our heart the stuff that is in there that we can't get out. The thoughts and the ideas that live in, that live in us, that we've let in, that we can't get out, we need to ask God to rip them out. And God promises that one day when he returns, he'll do that. He'll finish that work of destroying every last evil in our hearts so that we will be people full of wisdom and no folly. Well, nobody lets, nobody lets a hijacker get control uh, of the cockpit or of the train or of the spaceship. They guard the control room with their life. And that's what God is calling us to do as well. He's calling us to seek that new heart which comes through Jesus. But having a new heart, he calls us to guard it with our lives and to fill it with good things. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we know uh, the truth uh, that your word speaks, that what is in our heart shapes us uh, and that our lives are like a mirror for our heart. And Lord, uh, that makes us ashamed because uh, that reveals that deep within the heart of each one of us um, is, as C.S. Lewis said, a bedlam of lusts in a nursery of hatreds. Lord, uh, we ask that you would forgive us through Jesus for that, for what lies in us, and that you would cleanse us through the Holy Spirit that you would begin ripping out from in our hearts that evil which lives there. Uh, that every day that we would be conformed more and more uh, to the death of Christ so that more and more the life of Christ might take hold of us. Lord, we pray that each one of us here would have that new heart which you promise through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that 
having that heart replaced by your spirit that you would enable us to guard it, to guard what we let in, to be vigilant. Lord, help us to pluck out our eye and cut off our arm and do whatever else it takes to be vigilant about protecting our heart, lest we become foolish people who live foolish and sinful lives. But Lord, also help us to be diligent and thoughtful about what it is that we fix our minds on. Lord, help us to fix our mind on what's pure and right and good and godly and upright, what's pleasant, what's pure. Help us to fix our mind and our heart on your word, that it might sink deeply into us and that as it seeks deeply into us, that your word would at last shape our nature to be people who love you with all our heart. Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.